are the U.S. currency. Throw up a picture for me. U.S. currency has this little slogan on it, In God We Trust. Um, today we're in part two of our series, Experiencing God, Knowing and Doing the Will of God. And my subtitle is, In Blank We Trust? Um, because even though our money says, In God We Trust, I was really thinking about it this week. Do we really? Do we really trust in God? I, you'd like to think so, right? We'd like to think. I would love to think so. I want to think so. I want to trust in God. You probably do too. Here's an even crazier question. How would we know? How would we know for sure if we were really trusting God? I mean, even, I mean, you could say it, you could put it on, but how would we know? To be honest, a lot of us, myself included, um, regularly experience tension between these two. Each one seems to be, at times, pulling my heart and maybe your heart in different directions. You know, and money is, money is a, something on it like what Nick said. Money really in the grand scheme of things is something we've made up. It's a symbol. It's no longer even on a gold or silver standard. It's a, really an interesting phenomenon. But money is something we made up, but it's a symbol for things that are so much greater than that, isn't it? Our hopes, our dreams, our fears, our possibilities, our our indebtedness um, symbolizes power, influence, strength, security. It's a symbol for those things. Because ultimately, it's not just pieces of cotton fiber paper that we want. It's we want the other things that the cotton fiber paper um, promises to give us. And as I've been thinking about this fact, uh, you know, honestly, to be honest, sometimes I wonder about which one of these two is really setting my life's agenda. Which one of them commands my ultimate loyalty and my ultimate trust? Which one establishes the boundaries and the possibilities of my life? Which one has command of my mind? Which one informs my imaginations? Which one has buried certain ideas deep down inside of me? Which one of these has command of my emotions? Which one of these two do I really trust to answer my prayers? And today's sermons, I'm not talking about money. But because money is a symbol for so much outside of money. Why do things have to be so difficult? Why do, why, why do we have to live with this tension? I experience it. If you don't experience it, and I don't mean to be, well, maybe I do. Maybe I, I'm not trying just to be offensive, but let me challenge you a bit. If you've never experienced the tension in your life that comes from feeling like God would have you behave in one way, but what you need to do to make it in the real world seems to tell you to do this, then you probably have never tried to do the will of God. If you're experiencing that tension, you're probably in good shape and in good company. 
Um, why do things have to be this difficult, though? Why do we have to experience this tension? I don't enjoy it. Why do we have to go through this internal conflict, this conflictedness in the depths of who we are at times? If you're like me, you want to really and fully trust in God. I want to fully trust in God. Cover to cover in the Bible, we discover that God wants us to fully trust in him. So we're agreed. I want to trust in him. He wants me to trust in him. But why is it so hard? And why doesn't God just make this easier? Why won't he just do something to make this easier on me? Why won't he do something to make it easier on you? This week's text that we're reading, and it's this week's Experiencing God memory verse, is an ancient Hebrew statement of trust and loyalty. Um, it comes from a psalm, which is an ancient Hebrew poem or song. Um, and get this, this psalm envisions a king, Israel's king, going out to face their enemies on a battlefield where his army will likely be up against a superior military force. He's going to be outmatched. As Israel is preparing to fight, fight for their homes, fight for their families, for their freedom, for their lives, they evaluate their odds in this conflict. And they come to an incredibly surprising conclusion. They actually think they can win. They actually think that they are going to win. But why and what can we learn from them? Grab your Bible, open up to Psalm 20 uh, and verse 7. Psalm 20, verse 7. I'll be reading from the English Standard uh, Version this morning. Would you like to hear it in Hebrew, by the way? I translated out of Hebrew just for you. No, you don't want to hear it? You do? Because I need to practice. I paid lots of money time to learn it. I need to practice. So here it is. Actually, in the Hebrew Bible, it's verse 8 because the title is actually a verse. Not that you care. But I care because I actually wrote down verse 7 out of the Hebrew Bible this week. And I read it and I was like, that's not it at all. And I took all that time to write it. So it's actually verse 8. It says, Ele, or Ele Barechev. Vaele Vasusim Vaanachnu Vashem Adonai Elohenu Nazkir. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will trust in the name of of the Lord our God. Let's pray. Lord, chariots, horses, what? And yet we can see that there's a very powerful statement being made here. Teach us, help us. Help us to see what you're saying and help me to do it. The job that I need to do to be faithful to you in this moment concerning the truth of this scripture. Holy Spirit, enlighten our minds. 
set our hearts free in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Chariots and horses. Um, Chris, can you throw up my picture? I have a, uh, this is a, an Egyptian um, picture. Uh, you can see that chariots and horses um, were not you know, just for leisure uh, in the ancient Near Eastern world. Chariots and horses uh, were used as, mili- as instruments of powerful, powerful instruments of war um, for generations and generations in the ancient Near East. Um, you could see them even being used by Romans and by Macedonians and Greeks and uh, Persians and Babylonians and Hittites and um, obviously Egyptians. These weren't just symbols of, of, um, and instruments of war. They were also symbols of wealth and of power. Apparently in this psalm, Uh, Israel is being threatened, and there's a conflict. And so the king is going out to lead his troops uh, in this battle against their enemies. Israel is almost always outmatched. Some of the great empires of the world uh, were right there. Israel was placed on a land bridge between three continents on major trade routes. I believe God put them there on the center stage of history at the time so that he could reveal himself to the world. He blessed Abraham and his descendants to to bear a blessing for the sake of everybody. But Israel was smack in the middle of the action. The Hittite Empire uh, to the north and the west, um, the Egyptian Empire to the south. Um, Then you will see the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Macedonian Empire, or the Greek Empire, for those of you who are not Macedonian. Um, The Roman Empire. So Israel's going out to face their enemies. What are their options when they find themselves in conflict? I think there's about four, and I'll just touch them briefly. One, they can trust in their God-given resources, right? You know, they can look in their national treasury and in their stables and uh, where they store their instruments of war and take stock. How much do we have? Are we strong enough? God has given us all this stuff. Uh, Has God given us enough to be victorious on the battlefield? So they can trust in their own resources and the resources that God gave them. Second thing, they could trust, uh, if they find that they don't have enough resources to meet the enemy, second thing they could do is pray that God would give them more chariots and horses, right? I mean, that would make sense. I mean, horses, horses and chariots in the ancient world are like tanks and helicopters. You know, God, please give us more tanks and helicopters to fight the war. That would make sense. Those two things are just kind of common sense. They could pray and ask God, God, give us more chariots, give us more horses. Well, say they do that and no more chariots and horses show up or they don't have time. Well, what can they do? Maybe a third option, a third common option, would be to seek alliances. Find alliances. Israel gets in trouble for doing this. I mean, they make alliances with Egypt, of all people, at some points in their history. Seek alliances. Get your friends to help you out. You know, trust in some other people that may have some other resources that can help you. Say that doesn't work, though, and the, uh, the alliances are not powerful enough, and the friends don't have enough resources to be able to deal with the conflict. 
Well, then maybe option four would be to seek terms of surrender. Send a, send a representative with the white flag out on the battlefield and try to get this thing ended before it begins. It's not going to come out completely in your favor, but maybe you'll, your lives will be spared. Seek terms of surrender. How can we compromise so this war doesn't happen and completely uh, wipe me out? A fifth option might be to trust the Lord, their God. That's the option that they choose to take here in this verse. Trust the Lord, their God. Trust the Lord, their God. If they're trusting in the Lord, their God, that it doesn't mean that they're trusting in their God-given resources and their God-given health and wealth, their God-given positions, their God-given stuff. It's not the same. It seems easy to make it the same, but it's not the same. They're not just trusting that God will give them the resources they think that they need to accomplish what they need to accomplish. They're not just trusting that God, the third thing, trusts that God will bring alliances to them, that God will bless their friends so their friends can help them out. Or that somebody will come to their rescue. They're actually making a statement of trusting in the Lord. Yahweh. The Lord, their God. Here's my big question today. Something for us to think about. What if God uses? I'm not saying God creates or necessarily allows in the common sense of that. What if God uses conflict to give us the opportunity to actually know him as we experience him doing the impossible? What if God uses the conflicts in our life to give us the opportunity to actually know Him, not just the head knowledge, not know about Him, know Him. In the Hebrew sense of the word Yadah, which is an intimate, experiential, personal knowledge. What if God uses the conflict in our life to give us the opportunity to actually know Him as we experience Him doing the impossible. Do you guys know the story of how Julie and I came to Phoenix? Well, for years, uh, uh, Julie and I were married, and, and obviously we're from California. For years, Julie and I sensed, a, 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 we sensed that God was calling us into full-time vocational ministry full-time pastoral ministry. We had a strong sense of this. Um, we didn't just make it up. We sensed it continuously as we studied the scriptures together and apart. We prayed together every night with just about without fail. And we sensed the Spirit of God pulling us in that direction. In our times at, at church, and our times of prayer with friends and other people. Um, our own church our home church in Riverside 
also recognize this call of God on our life. They, they recognize it. Um, they paid for us to be able to um, uh, get some of the initial training that we needed and go through courses. Uh, and in um, 2000, it, well, I just skipped. In 2001, um, the, the church officially publicly made a declaration um, by setting Julie and I aside for full-time vocational ministry. Um, and they set us aside for pastoral ministry through ordination, through the ordination process. So in 2001, I uh, was when I received ordination. I had a, another license just before that. But ordination was a big deal because it was the church saying yes and amen to what God had already started in our lives. So our time in the Bible, our time in prayer, of the church, all were saying, yes, this is where God is moving you. This is what God's call is on your life. Um, all of that was going in the right direction, but our circumstances made it absolutely impossible. Our circumstances made it not possible at all. Our church, even though they desperately wanted to, they loved us to death. I mean, Tiffany's can tell, can tell you, they loved us. Um, she was in our youth group in Riverside. I've known Tiffany since she's 13 years old, and I was a um, her youth pastor for years. Um, they loved us, uh, but no matter what they did, it was like they take you know, two steps forward and three back, and just could not get to the place where the final piece of the puzzle so that we could do what God had called us to do would happen. They wanted to do it, but it wouldn't work. And Julie and I were both stretched to the breaking point. Stretched to the breaking point by being far overworked and far overpaid. For, I mean, far, not overpaid. That would have been awesome. Far overworked and far underpaid. Just to give you guys a clue, of where we were, I just want you to have a window into what it was, what our lives were like then. Um, we, were we were youth pastors first, and then we moved into the role of associate pastor and youth pastor. Um, we put in 15 to 20 hours of work. Thank you. 15 to 20 hours of work um, a week at the church in preparation, in our time there, um, all the stuff that we did. And Tiffany, you can call me out if I'm exaggerating. Um, so about 15 to 20 hours, each one of us, 15 to 20 hours um, volunteer at the church a week. Um, plus, we had Winterfest, we had summer camp, and we had camp meeting, which is our state convention. And those things we had to take vacation time to do. Um, because the church, I mean, sometimes the church was able to afford our hotel and things like that, but um, as far as the time off, they couldn't compensate us for lost wages. And so we had to use vacation time to do that. And we didn't do it grudgingly. Um, it was just kind of our life at the time. That's what we did. I worked at a machine shop at Corona Aluminum as a, as a metal fabricator um, in those days. Uh, 40 to 60 hours a week, depending on the season, where we were. Um, 
when we got married, I think I made about $10 an hour, and the most I ever made there was a little over $13 an hour in about the five years, uh, no, six years that I worked there. I think I started at five thirty something an hour. Um, so I made $13 an hour. Julie um, worked with a church and then a missions organization, and she got about 35 hours a week. It was part-time, um, and, and she made about $8 an hour, a little more. Um, we had $1,000 in savings. Our, luckily, I had a, a good boss at Corona Aluminum who told me, you know, right before Julie and I got married, and this guy had a lot of money, and uh, we, we had a, a good relationship, and he told me as I was working one day, he said, Steve, you know, uh, my dad taught me, and it's a good principle of budgeting. He called it the 80-10-10 rule. He said, he, and this was my boss telling me this, he said, you know, 10% of your income, give it to the church. 10% give it, or 10% put it in long-term savings and live on 80%. Live on 80%. And so we did that. Um, we, we had $1,000, and we didn't even know what an emergency fund was in those days. Um, but that's what it was for us. It was this put-and-take account. You know, need a new tire? There it is. We didn't have a credit card forever. Uh, we didn't get one until when? 2007. We only got it because we were traveling to Europe and didn't want to pay the exchange rate over there. So it was like less than one cent um, if you used a master's card, a MasterCard. So after our tithes and our taxes in those days, we netted about $2,000 a month. That's what we brought home. Um, well, the rent in our apartment was $755 a month. And uh, it was two-bedroom, two-bathroom, um, about 20 miles, maybe 10, 20 miles away from where I worked, a little closer for Julie. Um, we had utilities, uh, food, clothing. We had a car. Julie's dad had a lease. Uh, he got her into a, a lease on a Toyota Corolla that I could have killed him for, uh, but we weren't even dating at the time when she got into that. But we had a lease payment that we had to make for a while of uh, $236.12. Um, we had to make that. And at the end of that period, we still owed $1,000 to the to Toyota because um, we over-commuted. We went over our allotted miles. Um, uh, so we had, see, rent, utilities, food, clothes, car, fuel, um, tuition, college tuition, which was roughly about $250 a quarter. I was, um, we were trying to plug away at college as fast as we could, and at that kind of a schedule, I could maybe plug away, or plug away at one course at a time, uh, sometimes two, and then, uh, um, but that was a bill. And then our fun, of course you have to have fun. Um, fun in those days consisted of blockbuster video, uh, camping, fishing, Disneyland. Uh, we got, I got a Christmas bonus one year that was nice. Uh, it was kind of a profit sharing thing. And we were able to buy, uh, Disneyland passes, annual Disneyland passes for, uh, for each other for Christmas. And so, uh, you know, we were able to, after work on a Friday night, cruise down to Disneyland because they have lots of entertainment there. As long as we didn't eat at the park, it was pretty cheap. Um, so that's, that was life for years. 
had five years of college classes, internships, ministerial development programs, um, over 120 commutes of uh, about 100 miles round trip. Um, and most of those were on nights and weekends. And sometimes we'd have to drive from like the L.A. area all the way to Fresno. Um, and then I was getting fat, so I started studying martial arts. Obviously, I did not continue that. Uh, we studied Chinese Kempo for two to three times a week. That was our schedule for years. Um, I mean, luckily we were in our early 20s and we could pull that off. Uh, but we prayed continually, every single night. Um, some nights with tears, that God would give our church the resources that they needed to accomplish His will. And God, please, bring in the right people. Bless the right people. Please do whatever is necessary so that that last piece of the puzzle will fit so we can finally do what you want us to do. So, um, after years of that, years of praying, literal, literally years of praying that way, every night, every night, every night, years, um, finally, um, an agreement was made by the powers that be, by our denominational leaders and by our pastors, that um, an agreement had been reached so that Julie and I could become the lead pastors of our home church. It was a big deal for us. Finally, after all of that struggle, things were going to finally pan out. Things were going to go well. Things were going to pay off. We were going to see that God rewarded rewarded our faithfulness, rewarded our, our uh, struggle. So I gave my job notice. Everything was going well according to plan. Um, we were going to be uh, officially installed as the lead pastors of our home church, uh, I believe, in January of 2003. In January 2003, that's where we were going. We were all prepped and ready for that. At the last minute, everything fell through. Everything. Um, we were devastated. And then they got our hopes back up and it happened again. I'm talking devastated. I had experienced, we had experienced tough stuff in our ministry, um, and tough stuff in life. But this was absolutely devastating. Uh, it brought me to the point where one night we were going to bed after this happened and I had a complete meltdown just complete as we came to our time of prayer together I'm sitting there and I just could not hold back tears I'm talking the kind of crying that that where your stomach convulses you know and you just can't hold it because you've been holding it in for so long and I sat there and and Julie was a real strength in that moment we just cry. We were broken. So God, I don't I don't get it. There's some there's some really rotten people that aren't even trying to do the right thing that seem to get everything they ever want. And for years and years and years we've been doing this and plugging away and yet this is what we get. I said God, I, don't, I just don't understand. I I learned a lot right then. 
because I think before that I, I, I figured if I prayed the right way and had all the right, you know, right words, I prayed in faith believing that God would move mountains for me. At that moment I was just honest. Julie and I just cried, just broken. Right about that time, um, I went in and uh, my pastor, Johnny Bunch, who may actually preach for us this spring, um, uh, told me, Steve, send a resume to Parkway Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. And I said, okay. I went home and I looked up the website for Parkway Community Church. Got on the website. They already had a youth ministry. They had a youth ministry site. Their website looked pretty good. I pulled up the bio for their past for their pastor and the youth pastor, and I was just like, "Oh my God, are you kidding me?" I went back and the next time I saw Johnny, I said, "Pastor, this I don't know why you would tell me to send a resume over there. They already have a youth pastor. They've had a youth pastor for years. They've got a good youth ministry. It's going well. Their youth pastor has a master's degree." And even though I'm trying as hard as I can, I haven't even been able to formally finish my bachelor's yet. I've got a while to go. How does that make any sense? And Johnny looks at me and says, Steve, send it anyway. Send it anyway. So I did. I sent it. What happens next is crazy. Because my resume gets to Parkway Community Church right about the same time that their youth pastor resigned. And even though there was some trouble, um, uh, Julie and I made the move into full-time ministry at Parkway Community Church in June of 2003. When we were at Parkway, it was not easy. The first few years were absolutely horrid, to be honest with you. Uh, they were, it was rough. Um, but we found ourselves smack in the middle of something that God was doing over there. Um, we saw God do incredible things. We saw God... Um, work through us and the youth ministry team, people that he brought to us. Cindy was there. Cindy was a youth leader that I inherited. Um, every, every other person in here who was a, a youth leader for me back then, God brought you. And we saw God do incord- I mean, extraordinary things, unbelievable things. Unbelievable things. We saw God use us and work through us in that student ministry team to break every single record that I know of that has ever been set in the entire 60 plus history, 60 plus year history of that church. I don't know of a record that didn't get broken in those years. From attendance to events to everything, I don't know of one. Maybe there is one, but I don't know of it. You know, I think about Nick who came to church in those days just to get into a fight. 
And I think about meeting Brandon and Alex in my living room as Nick started a uh, small group in my living room, and it went on there for years. The first time I met Jim and Tina, first time I saw Ashley, you should see those pictures. I was looking at some old, uh, uh, old home videos or videos we shot from those days this past week. Toby, you should see yourself. That was funny. <laughs> God brought Tori and Ashley, Wes, Camden, Perino from across state lines. It was wild. Toward the end, the old nose from Michigan. And it was just Chris. I have to tell you, the first time I went out with Chris, it was really funny. We all hung out. She tripped on a curb. <laughs> it was the first day we did anything. <laughs> it was sad. But she laughed. Chris was a really good sport. She laughed her head off. It was funny. Today, we're miraculously in our ninth year of full-time ministry, serving a church that was started by a courageous group of people who believed that God wasn't done in his mission to reconcile the world to himself and to one another. I'm also nearing the completion of the largest master's degree in the nation. As I thought about this journey through the week, I realized that in that time of conflict and struggle, I did everything that Israel could have done. I trusted the God-given resources that he had given to Julie and I, to our church. I trusted others, especially the powers that be that helped me and bail me out or work something out. And when we were on the brink of surrender, and the only one we could trust was God, That's when we came to know. Not because I've just read it on a page, but because I know that nothing is impossible with God. I had read that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. But then I knew that God was a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. I had read that God can make a way where there seemed to be no way. But then I knew that God could make a way where there seemed to be no way. And that was life-changing. So, are you experiencing conflict in your own heart this morning? The kind of conflict that comes from your faith and trusting God telling you to take one course of action, but your understanding of the real world telling you to take another? Have you repeatedly asked God to remove this tension from your heart by supplying you with the real world resources that you need to trust Him and to do His will? So far has His answer seemed to be no, or at best, not yet. Maybe God is using this conflict, not causing it, 
not necessarily allowing it, but maybe God's using this conflict in your life as an opportunity for you to come to know him as you experience him doing the impossible in you, through you, for you, and around you. Maybe this conflict is the opportunity to know him. Stand with me. Lord, I want to know you. We want to know you. Lord, would you help those of us in here, myself included, who are currently experiencing conflict in our heart. We're experiencing tension in our heart, and it's tough. And Lord, you understand. You're not mad because we... You know, some, sometimes our, struggle, our, fi- our struggles are financial. It's not bad or wrong for us to pray that you would give us the money we need. But Lord, when that doesn't come through, help us not. If, if that doesn't come through, help us to not abandon our trust in you because you're, not, you're, you're a God who doesn't need money to accomplish his will. You're a God who has ways of doing things that we would never, ever know of. You have resources available that we could never dream of. You have ways of blessing us and ways of working in our lives that we could never imagine. And Lord, maybe the reason we find ourselves in a tough and difficult place is not because you don't love us. It's not that at all. It's because you do love us. You're setting us free from things that are holding us captive. You're setting us free from things that that are captivating our minds, our imaginations, our thoughts, that are holding our emotions captive. You're setting us free from things that are robbing us of good and healthy relationships and friendships. You're setting us free from things that are holding us back, that are chaining us down, You don't mean us harm. You know the plans you have for us. And they're for good and not for evil. To give us a hope and a future. That is the truth. And so Lord, in this moment, we need you to teach us, help us, show us. What does it look like to trust you where we are? When we don't have what it takes to make it when it doesn't seem like the resources are ever coming, when the people around us have betrayed us, abandoned us, or just simply can't help us, and we're on the brink of surrender, what does it look like in that moment to trust? What does it look like to take an action, a course of action that is faithful? What does that look like? Help us. Give us the courage to take it. Because I believe you want to draw us close to yourself. You want to show up and show off in ways that we would never dream of. But if we can't move in faith, if we can't move forward in trust, we can never come to know you that way. It's not that you won't let us, it's just that it's impossible.
It's not possible. So Lord, I pray that you'll give my friends and myself some courage, some wisdom. Convince us, Lord, of your great love for us. You mean us no harm. You mean us no harm. Help us to trust you for real. Help us to know it for sure. In Jesus' name, amen.